Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Historically, companies have drafted press releases and propped up DNI persons to suggest that they care about diversity and inclusion. We know that, in larger part, that this has been performative at best and window dressing at worst. In this HR Chat episode, I'm going to chat with Torin Ellis, principal at the Torin Ellis brand. Torin is a human capital strategist focused on the art of recruiting diverse talent using various creative methods. He has an accomplished background that includes 17 years of human capital efforts, military service, several board of director appointments, and unwavering spirit of giving back to the community and emerging youth. He is the author of Rip the Resume, Job Search, and Interview Power Prep. Torin is also the host of Career Mix, which airs each Sunday on Cyrus XM Urban View. Torin will also be a speaker at the July 30th Innovate Work Caribbean event, and his session is called Conversation to Commitment. This podcast episode is sponsored by Virgin Pulse, the number one global employee well-being solution provider, supporting 7.5 million members in 20 languages across 190 countries. Virgin Pulse offers solutions that deliver on their home base for health vision of simplifying and unifying other point products into a better together ecosystem and transform the mental, physical, financial, social, community, and emotional health of organizations and their people. You can learn more at virginpulse.com. Torin, it's my absolute pleasure to, uh, to welcome such a celebrity to the HR Chat Show today. Well, you know, I'm smiling because, you know, people say absolute pleasure. uh, And I wonder what it would be like for a person to say, uh, I'm actually disappointed that I have you as a guest, uh, but we're going to have this conversation anyway. So yet again, I'm appreciative that the voice is being welcomed, Bill. Thank you so, so much. (laughs) <laughs> well, my, my, my go-to if I wasn't uh, if I wasn't uh, in a pleasurable mood would be welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Okay, good. So I got, <laughs> I got levels up on that. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you, man. I love that. Love um, that. Firstly, Dorian, could, could you start by by telling our listeners a little bit about your your, your career background? Yeah, um, I can do it probably in ninety seconds. Uh, I built uh, high-performance sales teams for. Uh, MCI Communications in the mid-90s, left in 98, started a recruiting for, firm with a a dear friend of mine. We built a seven-figure business in less than 18 months, lost it all when the bubble burst. Um, I'm hard-headed. I stayed out here and continued to do transactional recruiting um, and almost lost it all again in the economic collapse of 2008. Uh, and what I noticed through all of that time, Bill, is that the higher up we went in terms of compensation responsibility, the less representation uh, I was seeing. And so around 2012, I just got tired of doing transactional recruiting. I love it. I absolutely love telling the story and placing people in new opportunity. I just wanted to be more of a business partner and not just another agency on the vendors list. And so I started, uh, you know, focusing on optimizing the TA process with a focus on diversity and inclusion, uh, and then began the journey, the the pushing the boulder up the hill of getting organizations to, to do, um, you know, what they say they were committed to doing. And I just found a number of organizations were far more satisfied with putting out a press release around DNI 
versus actually doing DNI. So now I unapologetically hold organizations accountable. That's who I am. Do you feel that that employers are, are more diverse now in comparison to to previous points in history? Which industries are maybe doing doing better? And and maybe maybe you could point to a couple of companies which which you feel are doing doing a better job in terms of their DNI efforts. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think across the board we could say that companies have done better, but how do you measure better? And I try not to get involved or too uh, entangled in the better measurement, the better definition, uh, because it can disappoint some individuals. You know that around 2012, 2013, uh, tech companies in Silicon Valley began to release their diversity reports. And those diversity reports then read almost the same today. You know, 2% representation, 4% representation. I think I don't I don't think any of the larger tech organizations have uh, a representation number of over 10 percent. And so when you start to read numbers like that, you find yourself. I mean, come on, we may not be mathematicians, but we kind of know that 10 percent is closer to zero than, you know, 70 percent. And so what we're looking for in these reports, what we're looking for in these organizations. Is substantive growth, we're looking for substantive representation. And not many of the tech companies have that. Not many of the uh, firms on Wall Street, uh, you know, have that. I don't know what it's called over in London, another alpha city, but, but I'm sure you all have a financial district. Not many of your organizations have that. I think last couple of years, uh, you know, Europe, London was uh, instrumental in, in, in setting some some mandate that that women needed to be a part of boards of directors. Wonderful. You know, but but the fact is that they had to kind of mandate it. And this was like two years ago. And so what I I, I firmly believe, rather than focusing on the the larger of the com- com- conversation around representation and have we done better, I just want to challenge people to do better. You know, just be committed to doing better. Start where you are and 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 assess where you are, and and then let's figure out how we do better. And everyone has uh, a particular DNA. Certainly, there are some aspects that are basic blocking and tackling, aspects that are ABC, rudimentary, if you will. But every single organization has a unique DNA, and they will figure out exactly what is required for them to do a better job. And, And I want people to be proud of what better looks like to them. And so while some may frown at your report of 2%, 2% is better than zero if you were at 0%. And so I just want people to be confident in where they are in the growth and to understand that this is a journey that has no finish line. DNI does not have a finish line. It is required, or shall I say, it requires uh, attention bill the very same way that product roadmaps and all the other stuff require attention. Okay, thank you very much. Now, my understanding is that you're not such a fan of traditional resumes, but I was listening to uh, an interview, uh, Chad and Ch- Cheese, I think it was, with, with you um, uh, earlier on today. And and in it, you shared that um, you never share job descriptions with with candidates, which I thought was was pretty interesting. And I, I suspect part of that is because you're, you're a people person and the, the ways that you like to communicate. Um, but but can you can you tell our listeners? Why? Why you make that decision? Why you consciously yeah. never since nineteen ninety eight is it that you, that you started your career? You you never shared a job description. 
Yeah, I don't share job descriptions because I feel like most of them are, you know, they are one-sided explanations of of uh, of a historical look back. Uh, you know, most job descriptions are not written forward thinking. They're not uh, looking into the future of what an individual needs to do. They're looking backwards as to what a person has historically done. And so to me, that's not a great way of starting the relationship. I want to have a more aspirational conversation. I want to paint a picture of where a person's going to go when they join this organization. So it's not so much so, can you do this today? I know that uh, cycles change. I know that responsibilities are going to change. So I want a person who is who is is excited about what the journey might look like 12, 18, 24 months from now. So number one, I don't show a, I don't share job descriptions because I'm not trying to historically look backwards. Number two, most of them are poorly written. And so one of the things that I would do when I was doing transactional recruiting is I would say, Bill, thank you for giving me this job description. What's the one aspect that you're looking for that's not inside of this job description? One aspect, one non-negotiable, one requirement, one characteristic. What's the one thing you need in this hire that is not on this job description? And then they would tell me. And that's exactly what I'd look for. That's the only thing I'm looking for. Sure, if you want a salesperson or a software developer, I know I got to make sure that you can meet a quota, that you can carry a bag. I, I need to make sure that you know certain languages around programming. I get that. That's easy. But that characteristic, that trait, that non-negotiable that is not even written in the job description is ultimately what's going to make them make the decision. It's ultimately what played into the success of our recruiting firm because we were always giving them a paper, as you would call it. You set a person in front of them, they're like, yo, this guy is like the truth. This young lady is awesome. This person is incredible. So our hit rate was high. And over my career of recruiting, you know, from 1998, and I'm just talking transactional recruiting, 1998 to 2015, I think I replaced, um, I think the number is like six or seven people, six or seven people that didn't meter out uh, the agreement inside of of, of the recruiting engagement. And I've, I've placed hundreds, thousands of people. And only six or seven didn't didn't stick. So I think I, I had a pretty good formula. So job descriptions for me, I understand the, the the place that they play, but it's not important for me. I'm better at telling the story. Wow. I'd, I'd love to get some tips from you for me now, if, if you don't mind. Um, time, times are tough. Times are really tough. Okay. Sure. A lot of people, a lot of people are out of work. Um, yeah. And um, I, I always try and coax out some, some, some practical takeaways for, for our listeners. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. How, how can those who are looking for a job right now, how, how can, how can they stand out? How, how can, how can they avoid being the fourth, the 400th, uh, uh, resume, um, name in a, in a pile that, that, that a hiring manager is going through and may never get to, should they, yeah. should they persevere by, I don't know, um, showing a bit of guy or maybe calling up the, the employer, yeah. directly should, should they should they find ways to to push their recruiters to work harder for them yeah absolutely uh rule number one for me is pick up the phone you know i think that too many of us have uh become reliant on the keyboard the process uh people are uh 
you know, so, so, so much so afraid of uh, bucking the system, if you will. And so when a job description says no phone calls or it doesn't provide uh, those contact vitals, you can only uh, apply online. People succumb to that complacency, if you will. For me, rule number one is pick up the phone. If I can get an idea of who Bill Bannum is and, and I can find his phone number, I'm calling Bill and I'm going to introduce myself to him. And I'm going to say that. That's exactly what I'm going to say. Bill, listen, this is Torin and and I really don't want to be one of hundreds of individuals that you never get to encounter. And so if, if you are at liberty to share your email address, I'd love to mail, email you my resume directly. And, and then I'll take the responsibility of following up next week so that we can schedule some time to go face to face. What's your email address? And if Bill gives it to me, then Bill is going to get my resume. If Bill doesn't give me his email address, then I can resort to doing what hundreds of other people are doing, which is applying online. I'm trying to find a bit of an edge. I'm trying to see if I can create some degree of rapport in 30, 60, 90 seconds that will allow me to be familiar when my document lands uh, in his uh, inbox. So I'm just simply saying for individuals that are out of work today, don't rely on the keyboard. Don't rely on job boards. Don't get stuck in um, uh, that black hole. <laughs> Fortunately, I know that most of the people listening to this pod are going to be in the HR community. And historically, we got a couple of uh, perceptions about us in this community uh, that we don't respond to candidates that we only look at resumes for six seconds. I've never subscribed to that number, but it's a you know, statistic that people often refer to. So if we know that we have these issues in our community, why in God's name would we submit ourselves to that? I'm not gonna do that. I wouldn't encourage my candidates to do that. And I'm certainly not going to encourage your listeners to do that. So number one, pick up the phone. Let me see if I can get in front of that hiring responsibility, that sourcing, that recruiting responsibility. Let me see if I can get in front of them. The second thing that I would encourage people to do is don't go to a job interview looking for work, go to a job interview having already done the work. Dissect the website, dissect press releases, look at the news, understand the market. What does competition look like? When you arrive, control the interview from a standpoint of, I know my creative contribution, I know what market intelligence is telling me, and I'm sitting in front of you with a high degree of conviction. These three things right here are going to propel me into the conversation differently than that passive candidate, that individual that you know only looked at the website or only talked to a referral. That I I, I show up, I show up as as prepared as I possibly can, and so I just want people to make sure that they go the extra two, three, four times to, to make sure that they show up. And then last but not least, don't only rely on one aspect of the search. Do your networking, spend some time on social media, do some hashtag searching, but let's have a confluence of different activity so that we can create a different result faster rather than a prolonged, protracted job search experience. Okay, well, and um, by the way, if you if you called me up and and took that approach, I, I'd I'd not only give you my email, I'd give you my social media. You probably have my personal number. Although I'd probably say to you, Torin, Torin, I I I appreciate your uh, your your, um, your candid approach, but um, you're Torin Ellis. You don't need to work here, man. Like you're you're famous. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, but, but you know, it's important. <laughs> let me, hey, let me tell you, let me tell you something. A lot of people don't know this. Uh, let me, this is something that happened in 2008. I actually took a job inside of an organization. This is a true story, Bill. I took a job inside of an organization so that I could solely get in and rip every single person out of the database. So I had a contract, a recruiting contract from a competitive company. They were an upstart. They knew who their competition was. And they said, Torm, we, we'd love to, you know, we were, we're trying to build our sales team. Can you help us? I said, no problem. I got you. They had no idea what I was going to do. I literally interviewed, got a job, was able to get in the database and could pull out the top sales reps in the metropolitan cities all across the U.S. Crippled them from the wow. inside. Wow. Crippled them from the inside. So I understand all forms of recruitment um, equally as well as I understand diversity and inclusion. That's why I am who I am. For the rest of this this session, I'd, I'd like to just uh, focus on on the talk that you're going to be giving at Innovate Work Caribbean on July 30th. As I mentioned in the intro, it, uh, your session's called uh, Conversation to Commitment, and there are three main areas that you're going to be you're going to be addressing. Firstly, what what do you believe are the the three mandatory considerations for firms that are serious about diversity and inclusion? Yeah, empowerment, strategic exploration, and tactical execution. So I need to be inside of an organization who uh, has people who feel empowered, people who feel like they can speak their truth in the, the workplace. No matter what your position or title is, can you speak your truth, operate with truth, in truth? Number two, uh, organizations need to, to go through some degree of strategic exploration. They got to know exactly where they are. I think too many times as recruiters, we just simply take a job description and we run with it. But if you don't know where the organization is, whether they are in continuous improvement or in maturation, what phase of the business are they in, then you're 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 oftentimes going to hire the wrong individual because a person in a startup operates differently than a person in a mature organization. And then finally, tactical execution. If If you don't know how to assemble uh, the resources and the people necessary to get uh, the mission done, then you you find yourself at a disadvantage. So those are the three un unwavering uh, aspects of a solid DNI program. Okay, and you're also going to talk a little bit about uh, the the wants and desires of Generation Z or Generation Z, depending on where you're listening. Uh, what does what does Generation Z find important in in the recruiting process, Torin? And and maybe what, what's different compared with the wants of of my lot, the the millennials? Yeah, speed and trust. It's simple. You okay. know, they're not going to wait around. <laughs> they're not going to wait around for you uh, to to take two and three weeks to respond to them. And, and they most certainly are not going to to, to respond well uh, when they know that the organization is not one that they can trust. If they don't feel like they can trust leadership, I'm talking executive leadership. And if they do their homework and they see that organizations are falling on the wrong side of social issues, uh, organizations are falling on the wrong side of history, uh, organizations are performative as it relates to Black Lives Matter. People, the Generation Z, they are able to e evaluate differently. 
and so I think that they do have options and I'm happy that they feel like they have options. And so I think speed and trust are two very important characteristics of how they uh, will make job uh, decisions going forward. And the, the, the third component is, is around uh, navigating complacency and, and mediocrity within TA teams. Can, can you give us in, an insight into what you'll be discussing in that context? And, and as part of that, I'd, I'd love to briefly get your, your thoughts on what about the, the role of, of AI now in, in 2020 in terms of reducing unconscious bias in, in, in TA teams? Is, is, it, is it helping uh, and what can still be improved? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, you know, that that point around complacency and mediocrity, I mentioned it in the beginning uh, of the conversation. There are still a lot of people out there uh, that say that pursuing DNI is uh, a lowering of the bar. Uh, if, if I pursue underrepresented talent, then aren't I discriminating against white men or white women or others? Uh, and, and I always ask them, you know, well, you didn't ask any of these questions when you were hiring white men, when you were hiring white women, when you were hiring other people, you never asked that question around, you know, pursuing people that are underrepresented. So why are we asking that question now? All I'm simply suggesting is that we can do a better job of extending our uh, attention and intentionality so that we can build more representative organizations. I'm not suggesting that we discount any group of people. But I am suggesting that you have not done a great job of being willful uh, uh, in your efforts to to build diverse organizations. And that's what it comes down to for me, Bill. It's will versus skill. I never enter into an engagement, a conversation or other with the suggestion that people are not skilled at what they do. Sometimes I uncover that they're not skilled, but I'm always willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that you are a virtuoso that you are proficient at what it is that you do, but have you been willful? And the reason we have such a nascent conversation around inclusion and representation is because not enough people have been willful. That is a challenge. And that's what I'm trying to challenge. And as it relates to AI, what I would say to you is that I believe it has place in the work that we do. I still believe that people do the best job of hiring people, but I absolutely understand where technology can bring us some uh, efficiency that we we may not be able to to exhibit on our own as humans. But I'm cautious of how the AI is being built when the AI does not have representation. I'm absolutely cautious. I'm cautious because of stories that say AI, some solutions, uh, you know, don't recognize uh, you know, black and brown people, whether it be facial recognition, whether it be our voice through something like a uh, a voice automated system on, you know, mobile devices. Uh, so I'm cautious of that. I'm cautious of how AI will be built into smart cities uh, around the world and, you know, how, uh, you know, how that will impact my ability to move about that city. You know, I don't want to be on a um, you know, stepping outside uh, of my vehicle, hopping out of my truck in uh, some facial recognition on a corner on a light post, um, you know, erroneously um, identifies me as an individual uh, who who has done something. I've been in that situation before. I've been in a situation where police felt like I was a person who killed a police officer. 
It's not a good feeling. It's not a safe position for a person to be in. So I'm absolutely adamant about AI being treated the same way that we treat every other aspect of the conversation around inclusion and representation. We need to be in the room. We are at the end of this particular interview. So that just leads me to say, Torin Ellis, thank you so much for being a guest today on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Mr. Bill Bannum, I appreciate you for allowing me space on your platform. And listeners, until next time, stay safe and happy working. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.